I have to say, chapter 7, verse 1 of Matthew is probably the most well-known verse among unbelievers. We get this thrown at us all the time, don't we? Don't judge. Jesus said, don't judge. And there's something to that. There's something to that. One, it says something about the culture that we live in, but also it says something about maybe the attitudes that we carry as Christians. That we're quick to be known as those that judge. But also... It's a misunderstanding because sometimes when it's used towards us, or even we as Christians, we can use that, this command, don't judge, as God saying, as Jesus saying, look, there's never a time for you to say, this thing is right and this thing is wrong. But it's self-defeating. Because if you say, you can't judge, you can't say what's right or wrong, you just made a judgment. <laughs> if you say you can't judge, you made a judgment that you can't judge. You following me? It's self-defeating. And we know also from the context here that Jesus isn't saying, look, I don't want you to say something's right or something's wrong. He says clearly in chapter 7, verse 20, we'll see this next week, but chapter 7, verse 20, Jesus makes it clear. He says, listen, in fact, 19 and 20, he says, every good tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. In other words, he says there's good and there's bad. You can recognize good and bad, and you can recognize the people who do good and bad by what they do. So obviously that requires judgment. But remember, Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Do you remember the 12 that he's chosen? He's called them to follow him. He gets to this mountain where he can be heard really well. He, has, he sits down and he begins to speak. And he speaks to the disciples. It's as if he's wanting to say, okay, this instruction is for those of you whom I've called to follow me. But there's also a huge multitude of people that are listening. So the instruction is given, remember, to the disciples, but for the multitudes. He wants all these people to understand what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow after him? And so he brings up this issue of judgment, or we might say discernment. Discernment. How do we know when something is right? How do we know when something is wrong? Is it just something that kind of comes to us? Do we become Christians and we automatically know what's right and wrong? Do we know what's right or wrong based on living in a culture that might be more developed than another culture? Does that help us determine what's right or wrong? But he also is dealing with this issue that we tend to have as human beings, we tend to look at people and we tend to to critique them as better or worse. And guess what? Usually it's based on our own behavior. This is why we often like to be around people that we deem to be worse than us. You know why? It makes us feel better about ourselves. This is what we do. And so Jesus is wanting to help his followers. He's wanting to teach his followers what does it mean to discern? How how is it that you determine if something's good or something's bad? How, How do you know if something should be accepted or something should be rejected? How do we know when we should correct somebody Or applaud somebody. How do we know? This is what he's going to deal with. So really what what I'm going to talk about today, we're going to talk about four things that we're going to see in this section. that Four principles, you might say, that Jesus gives us about how we can learn to discern. 
what needs to take place. So picking it up in verse 1, Jesus, of course, says, Judge not, that you not be judged. Notice he says, For what the judgment you use, you'll be judged by. He says clearly in verse 2, he says, And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the first thing we have to understand, if we're going to learn to discern things, the first priority, according to Jesus, is be aware of your own issues. Do you understand the own issues you have? And the reason he brings this up, he says he wants us to be sober about our own issues because why? None of us is going to escape judgment. This is important. Because Jesus doesn't say, don't judge because I don't judge. He doesn't say that. He says, don't judge because don't forget you're going to be judged. Now it's interesting because like in English, the Greek language, which is the language that the New Testament scriptures were written in, The Greek language sometimes will use a a word that means one thing in one context and another thing in another context. So this word judge, it can mean just to discern or to distinguish, but it also can mean to condemn, like to pronounce somebody guilty. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, listen, you be careful. Be careful that you're not setting a standard that says, hey, you're guilty because by this standard, you're guilty. He says, be careful of that because guess what? You're going to be judged by a standard. Do you remember how Jesus started this, this, this uh, Sermon on the Mount? Remember what he said way back in, in Matthew chapter 5? How he said to this audience who would have greatly revered the religious leaders of their day, they would have looked at these guys called Pharisees and they would have said, Dan, you guys are it. You're the spiritual Olympic athletes of our day. He says, listen, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, you won't get in. It's got to be greater than that. See, one of the things that happens is we, we look at people and we think, oh, no, no. They're not in. There's no way that person could be, ever be right with God. Or we look at other people and they go, you know, they're a really good person. They're for sure right with God. And we are judging them by a false standard. We're judging them by our own standard. And the problem is God says, listen, Jesus says, listen, the standard that you're going to be judged by is much higher than even the highest spiritual example that you can think of, humanly speaking. Jesus told this parable in Luke chapter 18. Remember the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisees? Tax collector says, oh, thank you, God. I mean, the Pharisee says, oh, thank you, God. I'm not like all these people. The tax collector says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. You guys remember that? Do you remember what he said about it? It says, Jesus spoke this parable to some. Who's he, here he, he spoke it to these people. Listen. Who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. This is what happens when we, do, when we condemn. We basically, we condemn people because we think We're on a high enough horse to do that. We think we're living at a high enough standard that we can condemn somebody else. And Jesus says, no, don't do that because guess what? You need to be sober about your own issues. You also are going to face judgment. Again, there was a time when Jesus was being quizzed by his disciples about a certain group of people who suffered some great catastrophes. They assumed it was God's judgment. Listen to this, Luke chapter 13. Jesus says, do you think that those Galileans who were were worse sinners than all other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died in the Tower of Siloam when it fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish 
too. Do you understand what Jesus was saying there? He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, listen, rather than you judging, oh, they must have had that disaster because they're really bad sinners and God wanted to judge them. He's saying, don't you recognize that you're in the same state as they are? That you are, naturally speaking, apart from Christ, just as guilty as they are. Do you understand that? And so the, the, the thing is, when we're, when we're called to discern, we really do need to kind of look at our own lives and, and be sober about our own issues because we're not going to escape judgment. God's going to bring everything that we do into account. Think about that. I think this is important for, for two reasons. One, because as I said, we are naturally inclined to judge other people. But also, many of us have been on the other side of judgment. Or we've been condemned or written off because of our behavior. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where you just didn't quite measure up to what the religious authorities in your life said you ought to be. In fact, if I've made you feel that way, I apologize. Because here's the reality. None of us measure up to where we ought to be. This is why we are so desperately in need of the grace of God. This is why Christ had to die for us. This is why he tells us not to condemn others. Now he goes on to say in verse 3, he says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But notice you don't consider the idea there is you don't even think about the plank that's in your own eye. Well, he says, well, how can you say to your brother, hey, let me, let me get that speck out of your eye, buddy. When there's this huge plank coming out of your own eye. Now, you need to understand something. It's really important. In fact, this is one of the things that uh, one, of, uh, one of the Greek scholars that, that I've read, I don't know anything about Greek, but I like to read the books that, from the guys who know about Greek. And they say that this word speck and this word plank, they come from similar words. That, 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 the, the point that Jesus is making is that both these things are of the same material. In fact, that word speck can be translated splinter. And it's this, this picture of you're going, ooh, man, there's, this na- there's a nasty splinter in your eye, bro. Let me, let me get that. But oh, I can't get close to you because I've got this big old huge beam sticking out of my eye. Oh, you got a piece of wood. Now, what would a splinter do to your eye? It would totally hurt, wouldn't it? It would also impair your vision. But guess what? You might not be totally blind, but if you've got a beam in your eye, you can't see nothing. Now, here's what's interesting. Again, this is about being sober about our own issues. What's interesting here is that I think Jesus wants us to be sober about our own issues because we tend to project our issues onto other people. We tend to go, I think I see a speck in your eye. Well, maybe it's the beam that you see that's coming out of your own eye. Have you noticed that? Have you ever noticed that the things that annoy you the most about people are often things that you yourself do? It's funny, my, my wife Sarah, who's rarely impatient with me, when she is impatient, I'm like, be patient. <laughs> Which if you guys, you're, if you know me well, you know that's a joke because I'm like totally impatient all the time. I'm the grumpy one in the family. I'm the one who barks and moans and have to repent of that all the time. But when she does it, I'm like, hey, knock it off. Law guy. This is what we do. One of the reasons our judgment, one of the reasons we have to consider our own, be sober about our own issues is because sometimes when we're judging people, we think, oh, they must be about that or they must be doing that thing. It's probably because that's where our hearts would go. 
we assume somebody is doing something wrong because that's what we would do if we were in their circumstance. But that's condemnation. That's judging. That's, that's not right. That's our issue. Do you remember um, David, King David, back in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12? Do you remember David? He's, he's coming to the kingdom. He's now the king of Judah and Israel. And he's had great victory over the Philistines. And he finds himself kind of chilling out, just kind of taking a little bit of a break. And the Bible says specifically, in the time when kings would go out to battle, David stayed home. And he's up in his roof at night, maybe he can't sleep, and he's out there on top of the roof, kind of overlooking the city, and he sees this babe, Bathsheba. And she's bathing there. And he lusts after her, and he calls, he has her servants, his servants bring her to him, he lies with her, he impregnates her, He covers it up by having her very honorable husband murdered. He then marries her thinking it's okay, it's all covered up, but probably telling himself, I made it right, you know, I justified this. Yeah, I fell in the sin, but you know what? By married, it's okay, justifies this. And then what happens? A year later, Nathan the prophet comes and says, David, I I got an issue I need to talk to you about. There's a situation where there was this rich man and, you know, he... This rich man, he, he wanted to have a, a, a feast for a guest, and so, but he, he, was a bit, he didn't really want to use his own sheep. So he goes to this poor neighbor, and this neighbor had just one little lamb, and it, really the lamb was more of a pet than, than livestock, but he took that lamb, and he killed it, and he cooked it, and he served it to his guests. And the Bible says that David, when he heard this, his anger was aroused, and he says, that man will die. And what did Nathan say? You're the man. You're the man, David. Why was David so angry that this happened? Because he was guilty of the very thing. This is what happens. This is why we need to be sober about our own sinfulness, about our own brokenness, before we start judging other people. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore you are, an excuse, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For, when in, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. There's so much politics revolving around sexual ethics. Issues like gay marriage, gender identity, these things are so politically charged it can become difficult to deal with them. But one of the things that we should never do as Jesus followers is look at people who have same-sex attractions or are struggling with transgender issues or really feel like, why can't, if I'm in love with my same-sex partner, why can't I get married? We should not look at those people and go, ooh, yuck, gross. You know why? Because we are just as sexually broken as they are. We're just as broken. Now, I'm not saying they're not broken. I'm saying they're broken and we're broken and all of us need Jesus to fix us. See, here's the thing. We need to be careful about putting ourselves in a place of, of being the judges, of being too quick to run to that place. The first step in all of our lives needs to be, Lord, where am I at? 
If you see something in someone else's life and you're concerned about it, the first thing you should do is, Lord, is there a beam in my eye here? Is there something I need to take out first? That's why he says, notice verse 5, Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now I want you to notice this, okay? Jesus is being clear. He says, here's what I want you to do. First, take out the log. Second, help the other person. Help the other person. You see, the reason we need to be sober about our own issues is so that we can actually help people. Do you know why I think the church is so weak? That We are so weak as, as, as Christians in the West when it comes to dealing with these very difficult, politically charged issues because we don't know how to deal with our own sin. When the statistics about pornography use are almost equal in church or out of church, we got issues. If we can't deal with our own sexual brokenness, how can we help anybody else? Do you know why we are so slow to help one another with really difficult family issues? Because we don't want to deal with our own junk. See, listen, Jesus is telling his followers, here's the way it works. If you follow me, the first thing I want to do is deal with your junk. But I want to deal with your junk so you can help everybody else with theirs. Now, this is not Jesus saying you've got to be perfect before you help somebody else. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is, if you're going to be a doctor, you first got to be a patient. If you want to help somebody else, you have to be helped. You have to let God meet you where you're at. It's important for us to be sober about our own issues if we're going to learn to discern to help somebody else. I love this because David, same David who of course, was the man who was guilty. He repents. And here's what he writes. After he repents, he writes Psalm 51. Listen to this. David prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast, away your, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Notice, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Do you know the the message that we have to share with the world is this message. I was blind, and now I see. I had a log in my eye, and Jesus helped me take it out. So I come before you not as some perfected saint, but as a fellow sinner who knows the Savior. Can I introduce him to you? Do you know what gives you the boldness to do that? is to be someone who knows that God is saving you. That God is helping you. You see, when we don't go to God to help us, guess what? We have no courage to help anybody else. Or when we think that we got it all sorted, look at me. I'm the religious one. I got it all taken care of. All we do is come across as critical and judgmental. No, be sober about your own issues. That's the first principle if we're going to learn to discern. Second one, look at verse 6. This, this verse seems like it's almost out of place. He says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your feet, and they tear you to pieces. What? What's that got to do with this? How is that connected? Well, first of all, no, he's not talking about dogs or pigs. He's actually talking about people. Okay? He's talking about people. 
Before we talk about who those people might be, let me first just, notice, first just draw your attention to this in verse 6. Look at it again. Notice he says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs. He also says, listen, don't cast your what? Pearls before swine. Holy is that which God has set apart for his own. I think this is obviously uh, uh, an indication of, we might say in a nutshell, this is the gospel. This is Jesus talking about the, the, the truth of who he is and how he changes people. That's what he's talking about, that you don't want to be quick to just share with whoever the dogs and the swine are. He's talking about also in this same context, this issue of discerning. Do you realize when you share the gospel with somebody, you are casting judgment? You are. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you say to somebody, hey, Jesus is wonderful, he saves sinners, what are you saying about that person? They're a sinner. You're casting judgment. Well, they are. So are we. And he's saying, Jesus is saying, this is holy business. This is, this is something that God sets us apart for, that he set it apart for. It's holy business. But also, listen, he says, don't, he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. What are pearls? Well, there's something of incredible value. There's a cost. He says, your pearl. If you have pearls, guess what? You paid a lot of money for those, or somebody did. They're costly. So what he's talking about here, he's saying, listen, this idea of discerning, this idea of judging, this is holy and costly work, so don't be flippant about it. Don't be flippant about talking about these important eternal things. This is heavy stuff. Be careful about what you're talking about. In fact, this is the second thing you need to understand. The second principle is you've got to be sure that these people want your help. The people that you're going to want to share with, the people that you're wanting to, to discern about, do they want your help? We'll talk about how we might do that practically in a second, but just keep this in mind. But I also want you to notice what he says. He says, these dogs, these swine, these are those, listen, he says, that what they might do, if you're not careful, is they might trample what you said on their feet. They might treat what you said as unholy, as invaluable, or as unvaluable, and they might turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, listen, if you're not being sure they want your help, you could create an unnecessary enemy. Now, let's, let's be honest. If this is talking about practicing discernment by sharing Jesus with people that you discern need Jesus, which is everybody, right? If, if that, in, in, our, in our context, what we tend to do, if we're honest, is we tend to go, oh, no, they, they wouldn't want to hear it. I, I won't share it. I mean, let's be honest. Without, without show, without, nobody raise your hands today, but I wonder how many of you have shared Jesus in this last week? Don't raise your hands. How about last month? How about last year? Because we willing to bet that most of us are a bit chicken when it comes to this. We're a bit afraid to do it. So our, our problem is not that we're probably too quick for it. Our problem is probably we're too slow to do it. Yet there still is this principle to think about. When it comes to discerning is, discerning, when is it appropriate? I was doing some, some street work, you know, trying to share Jesus with people on the street a few years back. And there was another brother from another church who was doing some street work. And I could tell he was handing out tracts. And so I went up to him. I said, hey, I said, bro, keep up the good work. Uh, my name's John. I'm from such such a church. He's like, yeah, but are you born again? I'm all, yeah, bro, I'm a, I'm a pastor from another church. I'm born again. He goes, you know, but do you know Jesus? And he just was like, in my face. And I'm all, okay, bro, I was just trying to encourage you. I want to go now. I thought, you're not listening to anything I say or 
You just think, from your church, I must not be a Christian or something. The thing is, when we're like that, when we are just trying to say, I need to get my gospel points in, you've got to believe in Jesus. We might be casting our pearls before swine. It's funny because uh, the other day I was down in, um, I was down in Golston and I was going to uh, uh, have some takeaway with um, Andy and Claire who live down there. And uh, so I went to pick up this takeaway and the, the, the mother of the owner of the shop was there, a really nice uh, lady. And she was just really chatty. I mean, I couldn't take my order because she kept interrupting me and saying, so where are you from? Oh, what's that accent? Oh, it's lovely. And just la 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 And she was asking me all kinds of questions. So I thought, okay, God wants me to share with this person, obviously. And so I said, well, yeah, I'm from the States. Or why are you here? Well, actually, I'm, I'm a minister. I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. Oh, which church? Oh, servant's church. Oh, really? And so I'm like, yeah, do you go to church? Do you have a church background? Whoop! That's it. She just ignored what I said, changed the conversation. I kept trying to bring it back. Whoop! She just ignored it. Now, I'll admit, I'm tempted to kind of go at this point saying, look, you interrupted my dinner. You're not going to hear about Jesus, you know? I was tempted. But you know what? That would have been unwise. Who knows if I'm going to see that person again and have another chance to share with them. I remember me, I'm that crazy American pastor that bought takeaway from your son's shop. And I'm going to have a chance to share Jesus with him then. There, there needs to be some wisdom about how we share. In fact, the scripture says specifically that we should, we should listen, we should be wise with those that are on the outside. This is Colossians 4. Be wise with those on the outside. Let our speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer each one. In fact, listen to what Scripture says in, um, in Proverbs chapter, um, where is it? Proverbs chapter 9. It says, He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he rebukes, uh, rebukes a wicked man, only harms himself. Do not correct the scoffer, let he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. I forgot to share this other verse too, just recognize that I did. James chapter 5. This really connects to what we were saying before about the work of, of discerning being costly. He says, notice he says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's good and costly work. What does Proverbs also say covers a multitude of sins? Love. Does Jesus want us to love everybody? Absolutely. Does everybody need to know Jesus? Absolutely. Do we share with everybody the same way every time? Absolutely not. We need to have some discernment. Okay, Lord, as your followers, you call us to be discerning. How do we share with this person at this time? We know they need to know you. We know they need a Savior. But how do we share with them? So that's the second thing. Be sure they want your help. Third thing, quickly, be motivated in prayer. I love that then Jesus starts talking about prayer here. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For notice, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open to you. Do you understand what Jesus is, is saying here? Do you, do, you, do you get this? He's saying really clearly here, he, he's saying everybody, everyone. In fact, it's really emphatic in the, in the original language. 
It's this word that means all, every single time. All. All people have access to God through Jesus. As long as they come through Jesus, they have access to God. You know what that means? You, in your current state right now, if you come to God through Jesus, if you approach God in prayer and you recognize, I can only approach Him through, uh, to, in prayer because of what Jesus has done, if you've done that, you have access to God. You know why? Because you are not worthy to have access to God apart from Jesus. It's only Jesus that makes us worthy to approach the Father. It's only His Word. In fact, this is what he says. It's only through Jesus. Jesus himself said, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus won't let us believe in a generic God. We can only believe in the God that he's revealed and we can only come to that God, that creator God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ through Jesus because of what he's done through his death and resurrection. It's only through Jesus. But also, listen, it's always through Jesus. Listen to this. The the book of Hebrews says this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy. Who needs mercy? Anybody need mercy this morning? Just just a couple of you. Yeah, okay. Uh, There we will receive His... Man, you guys judged so bad. There we'll receive His mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Anybody need grace? Come on, let me see my hands. We all need grace. We all need mercy. How do we get it? We go to God. How do we go to God? We go with confidence because it's always through Jesus. And also, notice it's anything. He says, he says he, he's telling us to ask for anything. What's the circumstance when you couldn't ask God? In fact, look at what Jesus says. In John chapter 14 and 16, listen to this. Jesus himself says these words, You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son will bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Ask the Father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before, but ask using my name and you'll receive and you'll have abundant, abundant joy. Now, let me be really clear. When Jesus says to ask in his name, he's not just saying that we say in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer. That's a very good thing to do. Nothing wrong whatsoever to say in Jesus' name, amen. It's a good way to end a prayer. But that's not what he's talking about. It's not like some sort of a superstitious little thing. We say, oh, I said Jesus' name. Or I forgot to say in Jesus' name. Now God's not going to answer my prayer. That's not what he's talking about. To pray in Jesus' name is to recognize that he and he alone give us the authority to approach the Father. Jesus, Father, I'm coming to you because Jesus has made me worthy to come to you. Does that feel weird to say? It can feel a little bit like, I'm worthy. How does that work? Because that righteousness, that worth, is a free gift that Jesus paid for through his death and resurrection. So we can come to God and we can say, Father, I need your help. Now think about this. What does this have to do with discernment. What does that have to do with learning to discern? Well, it has to do with this, that God calls us to be prayerful. Before you cast judgment, before you think, oh, I know what's going on here, go before the Father and say, Father, I'm wanting to know what's going on. What am I supposed to do in this situation? How am I supposed to deal with this person? How, specifically, how do I love this person? How am I supposed to love this person? 
If you call me, to, call me to love all people, how do I love this person in this circumstance? God says, hey, ask me for that. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to answer that. He goes on to say, verse 9 of chapter 7 of Matthew. He says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Anybody done hear that? Any of you guys, any of you parents here ever, you know? Oh, the baby's crying. Stick a serpent in his mouth. Let him suck on a snake and see how that works, you know? Oh, you know, the, our toddler's hungry. Well, give him a rock to chew on. There's a good idea. No, we would never do that. And notice Jesus says, you being evil. Jesus has no problem saying that here's the, the default position of mankind. We're evil. We're broken. So he says to his disciples, if you have a bent towards evil and you know how to do good stuff for your kids, how much more God, who is only good, will he give you good gifts? What good gifts? Now we love to hear these verses when it comes to, yeah, God, give me what I want. But what about when, God, give me what is best? You know, material things are good. There's nothing wrong with material things. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, our car's not doing too well. Would you provide a new car? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with saying, God, we got some bills to pay. Would you provide bills to pay? We should be asking our Father to help us with that. He's a good Father. He wants to give good gifts. Nothing wrong with that. God gives good gifts. God, Scripture says really clearly uh, that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Great to pray for that. But isn't it funny how we'll pray for inten- with intensity for those things? Oh God, oh desperate, please provide this holiday. Please provide this money for this. Please pay for this bill. But when there's a broken relationship, we're not too desperate, are we? Yeah, okay, I'm supposed to pray for that person, so help them, I guess, God. But don't cry out and say, God, please help me to be reconciled with this person. Help this person to be reconciled with you. Help this person to come to know who you are. Jesus says, ask anything in my name. Guys, listen, we're talking about learning to discern. How about us learning to pray for one another about these things? Do you believe that God's goodness exceeds yours? Do you think your desire to have people in right relationship with God is stronger than God's desire? for people to be in right relationship with you? Pray. When you're struggling with your friends and family that are in this church, pray. Father, help us to get this right. Show us how to to respond in this situation. Pray. Oh, John, you don't know. You don't know how bad this person hurt me. I'll tell you what, it wasn't nearly as bad as we offend God on a daily basis. And he forgives us and promises that he will give us the ability to forgive others. Lord, John, you don't understand. The situation is so bad. The relationship has deteriorated to such a bad point. There's no way this can reconcile. Really? Because God says, listen, he says, as much as depends on you, make peace with all men. All right, God, do you call me to this? Help me, Lord. How do I get this right? Show me. Give me discernment. Where's the log in my eye? Lord, show me. What, how, how do I, I build a bridge with this person to start over again? Help me to know when to forget the past 
and when to bring it up. Give me direction for the future with this person. See how prayer fits into all this. Be motivated in prayer. We have a God, listen, we have a God who understands broken relationships. You realize that when God creates the universe, He knows that people are going to rebel against Him. They're going to be broken from, away from Him. You know, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, it's not plan B. It's not as if God creates the world and it, oh, it's going so nice, and oh no, I messed up. Adam, you idiot, what do I do now? Oh, okay, plan B, plan B. I'll send my son. No, the Bible says, listen, that Christ was crucified. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Revelation chapter 13. Plan A has always been God saying, I'm going to create people in my image knowing that they're going to blow it and I'm, pro- I'm going to provide the way for them to be reconciled with me and reconciled to each other so that they and the angels can know something about me that couldn't be known otherwise. That's God's plan. So if that God who has that plan, guess what? When you pray according to his plan, Father, would you help me to be reconciled with you? Help me to believe that what Jesus did was enough to pay for my forgiveness and provide for my freedom. And when we pray, God, help me to know how to love this person, can we believe that God can give us that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Be motivated in prayer. Lastly, verse 12. Therefore, he says, Jesus says, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I'm going to call this principle be practical in love. Now, this is what's called, of course, the golden rule. And there are many sort of philosophers and religious thinkers before Jesus' day that said something It was similar to this. Not the same, but similar. Similar in that uh, it was was often stated in a way that would be like, don't do harm to somebody because you wouldn't want that harm done to you. So it was exhorting you to inaction. Don't do something that's bad. Or even if it was exhorted towards action, it would be, okay, do this good thing because you're going to gain something good from it. Do the good thing to somebody else and guess what? It'll come back around to you and you'll get something good out of it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying, do what you want men to do to you so that they do that to you. He just says, whatever you'd want men to do to you, do to them. He's saying, listen, this is not just just avoiding harm. It's pursuing the good of somebody else. It's pursuing their good. This is what I mean by being practical in love. It's good, it's nice for us to speak kindly to each other. Hey, how are you doing? Good, how was your week? Oh, great, praise God. That's all nice, it's all wonderful. But what about actually pursuing somebody's good? I've gotten into the habit, um, as being a pastor for 25 years, I've gotten into the habit of calling people liars. It's a good thing to do. Here's what, here's what I mean. People say to me all the time, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm all right. Liar. It's so obviously you're not doing okay. Let's talk about how you're doing. What's really going on? Not because I'm so smart or I'm discerning or I got it all sorted. Just the opposite. Because I know 
I'm a weak person that needs other people's help. So guess what I want to do? I want people to help me. I'm going to help them. That's what I would want. I want somebody who would care enough to, to pull me out if I need it. So I want to be practical. Sometimes that means I can't have a conversation there. A discernment would say this is the wrong time to cast a pearl because you're going to embarrass this person or you know, they're not going to be ready to open up. Wrong time. But I pursue that person or we should pursue those, pe- those people to say, okay, maybe we can go have a cup of coffee. Let's go have a cup of tea. Let's have a chat. Let's see how you're doing. Sometimes it's doing things, listen, sometimes doing the, the thing uh, for somebody is doing something that they don't know about. As a missionary, you guys I think know that most of my income comes from the United States still. Um, it's been, one of the hardest things about being a missionary is learning to receive. It's really hard when people say, God bless you, we really like what you do, and they stick money in your hand. It's really, it's really awkward. It's really hard to do. It's hard to receive that. So sometimes, to be honest, I prefer if people don't tell me it's from them. Hey, when the people, what, what, did, this, what did my brother say to me? A guy came to me and he shook my hand and he had money in his hand. He's like, hey, this is what we call a Pentecostal handshake. That's what he called it. And there was a bunch of money in his hand that he gave to me. I love the gesture, but it felt so weird. He was just like, thanks. Put it in your back pocket. You just feel like so awkward. So you know what I'm trying not to do? I'm trying not to do the same thing. I don't want other people to feel awkward. So uh, we maybe give in a way that's secret. The point is, you actually do good to somebody else. That's the point of the golden rule. See, listen. To be discerning, you have to be loving. To be loving, you can't just talk about love. You can't just smile and say you're loving. You actually have to do things to be loving. Love does John says in his epistle, let love not just be in word, but in word and deed. Love does. If you want to know what, how you should love somebody, do, look to do something for them. Be practical in your love, and you're going to understand what it is that you need to do. You're going to get a better idea, even if you do the wrong thing. I've had this happen loads of times where I think, oh, that person really needs me to love on them. So I try to pry something out of them. Remember there was this lady that uh, we see actually quite often when we do street work, this homeless lady, and I went up to her and said, hi, how are you? What's your name? Thinking, I'm so nice, I'm asking her name. I'm sure I really respect her as a human being. You know what she said to me? You know, I'm in a really vulnerable state. I don't want to give you my name. Why would you think I'd want to give you my name? You know, seriously, it actually makes people like me feel afraid when you ask for things like that. Failure. But you know what's great? Next time I saw her, I said, hi, I just want to say hi, see how you're doing. You know, okay, you need anything? And No, I'm fine. Sorry about last time being too pride. I, I, I didn't mean anything. Oh, no, I understand. Okay, if you need anything, just let us know we're around here. I'm, I'm John, by the way. Not asking for your name, but I'm John if you need your name. Okay. <laughs> she said, that's okay. I'm, and she told me her name. So in doing the wrong thing, I learned the right thing of how to love this person. See, it's, it's our pride that keeps us from actually doing, because in our pride, here's what happens. We think, I gotta do it right. I'm gonna love. I'm gonna be this perfect example. And so here we go. I'm gonna do it right. And so we think, oh, but maybe this isn't the right thing. So we just don't do anything because we don't want to make a mistake. My youth pastor used to say, the grace of God gives us the ability to love recklessly. We just love, and if we get it wrong, we say, forgive me, I got it wrong, how can I get this right? But we do love. 
We don't just talk about it. Notice he says, for on this, for this is, he says, the law and the prophets. Have you ever read the Old Testament? You know, maybe part of the law, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament. Have you ever started to read those things and thought, I have no idea what this is on about. What could this possibly have to do with me? It talks about like, you know, how you deal with an animal's entrails and, you know, <laughs> just, you know, all kinds, of, and all kinds of things that just seem really wrong to us. Like, okay, if, if a woman's raped and she doesn't scream, she's still somehow guilty. You're like, what? How, how does that work? And this is why you read that stuff and this is why you think, okay, people, people say, well, how can the God of the Old Testament be the same as the God of the New Testament? Because God of the Old Testament seems so harsh. But do you understand this? When God is speaking to the Israelites of his day, he's showing them how they are to love in that context. So the principle, the law of here's that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, that we should be careful to protect the marginalized, that we should, we should care for the poor, all those things completely apply, but they apply in a new context. Which is why just trying to just keep the law, okay, somehow i got to make sure that I keep all these laws that are in the Old Testament, doesn't ever work. What we have to do is say, okay, Lord, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but how do I do that now in 2017? What does it look like now? Paul said to the Philippian church, he says, may you abound more and more in love and all knowledge and discernment. In other words, don't just grow in love like having a heart for people, but know specifically how you're supposed to love people. Discern how we're supposed to love these people. This is what Jesus calls us to as his followers. Judge not, lest you be judged. Judge right, lest somebody else fall into judgment. Love with discernment. This is what he calls his followers to do.